always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Search Sky Broadband to get started. It's the oldest saying in the book, what goes up must come down. And in the volatile world of cryptocurrency, that's proving to be a brutal truth. Crypto is moving down hard. Right here, right now, it is down five plus percent. We are in the middle of a crypto winter. How cold does it get and how long does it last? This isn't the first time cryptocurrency has found itself in a downward spiral. In fact, it's had many boom and bust cycles over recent years. I tried to warn you guys. I tried to tell you in my last video, crypto is going to blow. I kept saying it's going to blow up. It happened. Bitcoin, which is the most popular cryptocurrency, has lost over 70% of its value in the last six months. And on the business side of things, crypto companies are letting staff go, with Coinbase firing nearly one-fifth of its staff this month alone. Well, if you're looking for some good news, you won't find it in crypto. The biggest US crypto exchange, Coinbase, plans to lay off 18% of its workforce, about 1,100 people, in a rough start for crypto this week. Investors may place the blame on rising inflation, interest rate hikes and the instability caused by the war in Ukraine. But could there be something more to it? I'm Connor Pope and this is In The News from The Irish Times. Today, is the latest crypto crash just another blip in the market or could it mark the beginning of the end? Brian Lucy is the Professor of Finance at Trinity College in Dublin. Brian, before we talk about the convulsions in the crypto world right now, and at the risk of sounding like that guy who stood up on the bus and said, I don't know what a tracker is, can you remind me what a cryptocurrency is and why they have become such a big thing in our world? Cryptocurrencies don't exist. Crypto assets exist. They were labelled as currencies because... The initial proponents of them back in 2014, 15, thought that they would be a, a way in which I could transact with, with Connor or with Jennifer or with Suzanne peer-to-peer uh, without going through some centralized clearing system. There are things built on the blockchain technology. Blockchains are basically just you know computer-based, write once, read many times uh, ledgers, but they're not really being used as currencies. I mean, there are currency-like aspects to them. What they are are assets. So the crypto is cryptographic. You have to solve a puzzle. Your computer chip has to solve a puzzle to mine one of these things, whether it's an Ethereum or a Dogecoin or a Bitcoin. And then once you have it, you can sell it to others. You can sometimes use it to buy goods and services. It's a token. It's a medium of exchange. It's an asset that you hope will increase in value. But of course, it does have a slightly murky history because it was used by the criminal underworld and by money launderers as a means of getting money from A to B. Digital currencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum and Dogecoin have quickly become household names. However, the growing success of the allegedly untraceable funds has ushered in a new era of cybercrime. Could you talk to me a little bit about the relationship between crypto and crime? Because since the very start, the two have been inextricably linked. Criminality and currencies go together, you know, like round sauce and sausages. Uh, people will use whatever way they can to transact illegal activity. The attraction of the crypto space, it was in principle not trackable by governments, by regulatory agencies, etc. 
Which meant, of course, that if you wanted to hide what you were doing or why you were doing it, it was very, you know, very attractive way. There were some early influential papers uh, by a guy called Sean Foley, actually, which suggested that in 2018, 2019, about 40% of Bitcoin transactions were being used for illicit purposes. Does that mean that Bitcoin and all of those other activities are simply scams that people use to buy guns or porn or whatever? No, they're they're not. Uh, There's undoubtedly a larger chunk of those transactions being used for illicit or illegal activity than there would be a regular fiat currency, as it's called. But that doesn't invalidate them. What it means is that the very attraction of them being, in principle, anonymous and untraceable means that those who are attracted to that, either philosophically or for legal dubious reasons, will 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 go to them. Now you mentioned Bitcoin, and obviously for a lot of people, when they think crypto, they think Bitcoin. Do they have any practical use in the real world today? So, I mean, I know I've written the odd piece for the Irish Times about Shop A or Shop B announcing that it would accept Bitcoin, but that's still very much the exception. So, do these cryptocurrencies have any practical use other than an, an investment? Uh, I was in Naples a couple of weeks ago, and I was surprised to see there was actually a pizzeria uh, that said, oh, we take Bitcoin here. Okay, well, yeah, how, first of all? Uh, I imagine if you went up to the person and said, you know, I'd like a, a quattro stagione, please, and uh, here's my here's my crypto wallet, they would say, yeah, we prefer euros, thank you. We've had an experiment. El Salvador said, Bitcoin is now legal tender. Queda aprobada la ley de Bitcoin. Lawmakers in El Salvador broke into applause after voting to approve Bitcoin as legal tender on Wednesday, making the Central American country the first in the world to fully adopt the cryptocurrency. Now, first of all, of course, El Salvador, if you're taking your monetary economics from El Salvador and now the Central African Republic, you might want to look somewhere else. No offense, but not perhaps the world's best managed currencies. In fact, El Salvador doesn't have a currency. It outsourced its currency to the dollar. The dollar is the uh, currency in El Salvador. So alongside the dollar, in theory, you can use Bitcoin. It's a legal tender. The El Salvadorian government gave, I think, the equivalent of $30, which is a chunk of money in El Salvador real terms, to everybody who signed up for a wallet. But nobody's using it really as a currency to transact between goods and services, to pay taxes, to users, remittances, etc. 70% of Salvadorians do not embrace the new currency, according to a recent poll. Most people say they don't want to download the so-called Chivo electronic wallet that allows users to buy and spend Bitcoin. So it has absolutely failed in the real world as a currency. These are not currencies. They can be used as currency, but so too can anything else. If I want to buy an Irish Times, I can give a piece of paper in that has a picture of a fictitious bridge. And the people in Super Value will happily take that. If I'm in the UK, I give a picture of a queen. In the USA, a picture of a dead president. Money is whatever people agree money is. People have not agreed that Bitcoin is money. And is that why it failed in El Salvador, Brian? Just because it lacked the acceptance of the broader society? A couple of things happened in El Salvador. One of the other arguments made about Bitcoin is by using Bitcoin, you can get over the problem of people being unbanked. So long as you have access to a smartphone, you can get a crypto wallet and therefore you can do your transactions. Uh, Problem, what if people don't have smartphones? 
a large chunk of people in El Salvador didn't have smartphones. Secondly, if you're in El Salvador and you're looking and you're saying, so I have a choice of using this thing. I got to get a smartphone. Okay, I've got a smartphone and I've got this wallet. And, uh, do you know what? I just use dollars. Uh, the convenience and the inertia of using that which you know is should never be underestimated. If you're trying to break a paradigm, it's going to be hard. It's going to be problematic. I, I think starting somewhere like El Salvador or the Central African Republic is probably not where you want to go because the technological and uh, financial sophistication really isn't there. There are other countries that are more technologically, more financially sophisticated. And that's not dissing those people. It's just, this is a fact, you know, there's levels of sophistication and smartphone penetration and banking, etc. But of course, those countries that are further up the adoption curve of things like smartphones and are more banked are less likely to want to or need to have an alternative to a perfectly good system at the moment. One of the things about cryptos has been that for a lot of people, they've just been really hard to access. I mean, like a lot of people go, where would I even start? But Revolut and other digital banks have made it much easier to trade in these crypto assets. For instance, yesterday I bought 20 euros worth of Ethereum and now it's worth 21.50. I've made myself 150 in less than 24 hours, but tomorrow it could be worth a fiver. Do you reckon there's a danger that by making these cryptos easy to access, people like me who maybe don't understand how the whole thing works can get sucked into what is effectively gambling? The, the, the issue is this. It's not really you and me that's the worry. You know, if you decide to put 20,000 into crypto, people will say, well, do you know what, Connor? you know, you're old enough to know what you were doing. You probably, given your age and career, can absorb a relatively, you know, large loss. It mightn't be nice. <laughs> but you can I, I think you're overestimating, Brian, know, how much we get paid. I know, I know. But I mean, the reality is you could. If you're 21 or 22 or 23, it's going to be more difficult because your financial situation is in general not going to be as healthy. The problem we have is that you have a generation of people growing up who are, as you say, it's very easily accessed. I was teaching a class a couple of months ago and there was like 14 people there. And I asked, so how many people here have crypto? 10 put their hand up. That's grossly over the kind of population average. So younger people are more heavily invested in crypto. And these are the very people who should be encouraged to having boring, long-term, safe, you know, don't forget your pension. Nobody at the age of 21 wants to think about the pension. But if you're going to have people exposed to highly volatile assets, then that's going to leave a mark. It will drive people to one of two extremes. It will drive them either to, yeah, I make 150 on crypto. Great, I'm going to make 150 every day and then um, I'll be able to afford a weekend away. Or else they go like, forget it. And they'll be turned off investing in any kind of asset. So I think we need to think a little bit about the risk profile of people and how that can be changed for good or ill, and the long-term financial market effects that that will have with regard to crypto. Coming up, why have crypto prices dropped so dramatically in recent weeks? And is there any future for them? Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% .9 reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, in the bedroom 
were swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. Over the last two years, the prices of Bitcoin and other virtual currencies surged and a global industry worth hundreds of billions of dollars rose up practically overnight. The popularity and cost of cryptocurrencies has skyrocketed over the last five years. Bitcoin has reached its highest value ever today and some believe it's going to keep climbing much, much higher. Now, after weeks of plummeting prices, crypto companies are laying off staff, freezing withdrawals and trying to stem losses. Tonight, a massive sell-off of cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency market took a dive this week after a major sell-off. The price of Bitcoin plunged to its lowest level since 2020. One of the hardest hit coins, Luna, erasing 99% of its value, now worth nearly nothing. Brian, in recent weeks, the world of crypto has been all over the shop and all of this stuff raises serious questions about the health of the entire ecosystem of crypto assets. What's been going on in that world in recent times? Central banks have poured uncounted quadrillions of money into the economy to try and keep it going. Firstly, global financial crisis. Then when central bankers were thinking, OK, well, that's over. We can now start to unwind covid and now they're going like, okay, fine, and dead Putin. So, you know, there's walls of money floating around the world, and money wants to find a yield. And it'll find a yield anywhere. It'll find it in commodities. It'll find it in investing in, you know, mergers and acquisitions. It'll find it in cryptos. It's been very clear that central banks do not want the amount of money floating around that is floating around. The question is, how do you take that out of the system? How do you get back to normal? normal being defined as, you know, 2004, 2006. And the answer is slowly and carefully. But as that happens, as we get back to a world where we have, you know, three, four, 5% interest rates and, you know, roughly similar inflation, which is where central banks would like to be, approximately zero real interest rates, you know, one, two percent up and down institutions will not want to be overly invested in highly, highly risky assets like crypto. Fidelity every year, a big US financial services company, do a survey. And last year, seven in 10 of their institutional investors that they surveyed were planning to increase their uh, crypto holdings. I would imagine that it's the other way around now when, when their 2022 report comes out. So, so there's a secular push against this, just because of the asset that it is. Highly risky, highly volatile. Nobody really wants to be in that space right now for a combination of reasons, geopolitical and financial. But also, we've talked a lot about the fact that it's deregulated, it's decentralized, et cetera. That means that bad actors can proliferate. You have no guarantee in this space that the person you're dealing with is actually anything other than what they say they are. And it sometimes is very opaque what they say they are. There have been persistent questions about even the most stable of so-called stable coins as to whether or not they truly are stable. We've seen the collapse of some alleged stable coins. So the lack of regulation, the lack of transparency, the lack of oversight 
if you're the chief risk officer of a financial services company or a treasury manager, and you're looking at this space, it's not going to be a comfortable space to be in. But isn't that in what many people regard as the essence of crypto? I mean, a lot of these people say, well, it's volatile and it's prone to boom and bust. But the proponents say, well, we've built that bubble into the system and ultimately everything will be fine. What do you make of that argument, the ultimately everything will be grand argument? It's basically, trust me, bro, you know, and fine. But I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of his politics, but Kissinger made a great phrase, you know, trust but verify. You know, I, I like the fact that, you know, my money in, you know, Revolt or N26 or whatever, even these online banks, you know, there's somebody, there's some, there's some sort of regulation. Somebody's making sure they're not just going off and, you know, taking it all to Macau. There's a structure that, in principle, allows some degree of regulation. This is the Wild West. It's worse than the Wild West because you don't have Wyatt Earp wandering around. You've nobody. It's lawless. It's anarchy. It is a lawless world, the world of crypto. But having said that, there's a huge, huge, huge amount of money being pumped into it. Last year, the crypto industry received more than $25 billion in venture funding. Which does nothing. Well, it's $25 billion. It's $25 billion that could have gone to, you know, solar panels or, you know, building a better mini or I'm looking at me mini out the door. <laughs> it's $25 billion that was diverted from, you know, real productive activity into basically, you know, glorified Ponzi schemes. Exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned the word Ponzi scheme because isn't that a bit what it's like? And what I'm trying to work out is these venture capitalists, these guys in Silicon Valley or wherever they might find themselves, they would claim to be really smart people and they've made tons of money. Like, so what are they thinking just pumping all of these billions into crypto? If they thought that they could make the same yields by investing in Irish housing or by investing in shale fracking, they would put the money in there. And they are doing it. It's all a search for yield. It all goes back to the fact that we've got this wadge of money sloshing around the place looking for a home. And that's buying up asset prices everywhere. But I think the diversion of money, the diversion of computer resources, the incredible diversion of energy resources, you know, cryptocurrencies are equivalent to Thailand in terms of global energy impact. The diversion of computer power, by some estimates, the e-waste generated, the just you know, worn out computer chips and motherboards and whatever, is equivalent to that of the Netherlands every year. Imagine if all the computer power that's being used to basically do Sudoku was instead being used to, I don't know, protein folding or curing cancer, or you know, there would be a positive utility to it. So we need to think about the diversion of resources and to sheer waste in some cases that's been created. I mean, obviously, we've talked about the upheaval in, in, in the crypto world in recent weeks. And I know that a lot of the companies are entirely defiant. In fact, during one of the ad breaks during the NBA finals, Coinbase, one of the big companies, aired a commercial and it referenced these boom and bust cycles. And the big tagline at the end was crypto is dead. Long live crypto. Do you think crypto will live long? Do you think it's here to stay? Or will my children be listening to this podcast in 20 years time and thinking, God, what Egypts were those people that they thought this was going to be a real thing? I, I think there will be. I think in 20 years time, you will still have crypto assets. I, I don't think there'll be anything as hyped as they are now. Yes, they will be there. 
will they be as prominent as they are now? I, I doubt it. But, you know, neither of us are qualified financial advisors. Please don't put your money on the basis of what we say. But I think, you know, they will be there, but they, they might not be anything like where they are at the moment. Well, I suppose finally, Brian, I just should tell you that uh, I've checked my, my investment in crypto. And since we started talking, I've made another 32 cent. So uh, here come the good times. You're rich. You're rich. You're rich. <laughs> Thanks very much for talking to us. All right, Connor, no problem at all. That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan.